Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining for another episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. This week, Chris Ainsley joins me to talk about Adventuron, which is his software which he designed to help kids create their own text adventures. He also spoke to me about how the software can help adults create their own text adventures, even if you don't have much experience using code. And he talked to me about some of the games that were designed using Adventuron. And he also spoke to me about the different adventure jams that were going on using Adventure On as well. So I had a great time speaking to Chris, and I think people will enjoy this interview as well. So without further ado, here is the interview. Please enjoy. I am joined by Chris Ainsley. So Chris Ainsley is the creator of Adventure On and well, a few other things as well, which I'm looking forward to talking about. So we're going to be talking about text adventures and text adventures and interactive fiction and all that sort of thing, because few people have been asking me to speak to more developers of text adventures. So here we are. And so I'm looking forward to finding out more. So hello, Chris, how are you? Hello, I'm good. That's good to hear. So um, no, thank you for, for joining me today. I'm looking forward to finding out more. So before we get on to your creations and your software and your games, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and let us know what your favorite narrative or text adventures are um yeah i'm uh, obviously chris ainsley i'm the developer of adventuron um i'm british i'm of a certain age some might call it middle age and um my favorite text adventure games um can i choose two well actually yes. can i choose um, go ahead <laughs> go with text adventure games for now there are three there's the first one is the beast of torak mua by linda Doty. Uh, the second is The Famous Five by Colin Jordan. And the third is uh, Robin of Sherwood by Brian Howarth. And um, the first game, The Beast of Torak Moor, was pretty much the first narrative-based text adventure that I really got into. Uh, before Beast of Torak Moor, I was mostly playing puzzle-driven text adventures. The Beast of Torak Moor was a game that appealed to me because it was set in a rural English setting, which wasn't a setting that I'd seen in text adventures or adventure games in general before. And um, it was a game that seemed to have a mystery, uh, seemed to be a bit of a spooky, supernatural element to it. At least that's how it appeared. And uh, you could interrogate townsfolk. And it just seemed like a very, it just compelling, a compelling story that I wanted to play. And up until that point, I had, I'd really just treated text adventures as puzzle boxes. Um, so that, that game was, that game was great, and uh, I, I very much enjoyed that. And that was back in 1988. Second game was The Famous Five uh, by Colin Jordan, and that was a game that I um, that was another narrative-based uh, game, and it was based on the first book of The Famous Five books uh, by Enid Blyton, Five Go to Treasure Island, and that was just a very a very enjoyable and cheery and colourful uh, game. Text adventures don't just have to be text; they can be text and graphics. That had some beautiful graphics, and um, 
I, I loved it. You could, uh, you could essentially go through each of the plot points of the books and feel like the characters, you could change protagonists. It was very advanced. And the third game isn't really, uh, Robin of Sherwood by Brian Howarth isn't really a narrative-based game. Um, it's a text adventure, but text adventures, at least in my opinion, they, they can be about changes of narrative, which is what we traditionally think of when we think of adventure games and text adventure games, and especially with the description of interactive fiction. But a, a lot of the early games were really using text to change the state of the game. So these games didn't use a lot of words to tell you, you know, story or character motivations. They essentially changed the state of the game. And this was a great little puzzle box with, with pretty graphics, and you filled in the blanks in your head. So technically speaking, you could say that it was a story, but it wasn't really. It wasn't really a story, right? The story was coming from the nouns that you see on the page changing. So it was, it, you might get three or four words to tell you that something happened, and then you see a noun on the screen that just changes. And now you'd understand that the world state has changed. So that's a very different type of game. And I, I describe that more as a kind of puzzle box or text adventure rather than interactive fiction. You could say it's fiction and um, there's, some there's some debate about that, but I really love these kind of state transitional games that involve text. And they're definitely adventures, but I'm not sure if they're narrative. And, and that one is one of my favorites. Uh, that's Robin of Sherwood by Brian Howarth. Okay, so from what you're saying there with the puzzle box games, the focus was on, I said, the change of the nouns, that there wasn't much narrative. So uh, I don't know if it sounds like they could be like the mist of uh, text adventures where the focus was on puzzles. <laughs> um, but I haven't, I haven't played them myself. Or would, would you say that that's fair or am I kind of off, you know, going off the point? Or? Um, I mean, Mist, Mist still had the, the videos and it still had an overarching story. And th there's definitely, there's definitely um, a lot of story to the Mist universe, even if it's delivered to you in, in reams of text. But these early adventure games and even later adventure games that were just of that style, they were more concerned with, okay, here is a scenario and here are some things inside that scenario, like an object list. And now you have to think about uh, what do I do in this scenario to essentially change the state of an obstacle to not an obstacle, or change the state of one object to another object. And you can loosely say that's uh, a narrative. So for example, if you pull a lever, the door opens. So you could, you could write that narratively. You could say, oh, you pull a lever, and the, the door opens, the light shines through. But these games, some of these games, of course, not all of them, I'm just talking about some of these games, and especially, um, the games by Brian Howarth, they kept things minimal. So you, you might pull a lever and it just prints OK. And you see that the closed door is replaced by open door. Now, in your brain, you could understand that that's a narrative. But really, it's, the narrative is told by the state change. It's not told in overt number of words, which is what you might get from um, true interactive fiction games, which are uh, I would say the later Infocom games, anything after Zork, is real interactive fiction. It's trying to tell a story. I understand to be the difference between narrative and uh, text adventure games. Yeah, no, I find, I find it interesting because, I, again, I'm going to make a confession that I, I have played a few, well, text adventures or interactive fiction, but I don't know a huge amount to, about them. So that's why I'm delighted to have you here to, to explain and to, shall we say, you know, open another world for me. Um, so, from what I understand, are you saying that text adventures are more, you know, 
puzzle focused and like now you know the nouns and that and then interactive fiction like the infocom games they're more focused on the narrative and explaining the story is that what uh, what you mean or because i'm just curious to know about the the debate shall we say between text adventures and interactive fiction um is that what you say the difference is or are there any other differences i just think it's got i think that it's got very messy i think that overwhelmingly uh i'm in the minority in in thinking that text adventure games um text adventure games don't have to be narrative because they actually fall under the banner that it'll fall under the banner of interactive fiction and if you look at uh there's a competition called ifcom um and in that competition which is for text-based gaming they describe uh anything that's essentially a text-based parser game is interactive fiction um but i personally disagree with that because interactive fiction is prescriptive you know the very name of it is interactive fiction and if you if you've designed a puzzle box which is perfectly crafted puzzle box but it has no narrative element to it then obviously you're failing uh by the definition of interactive fiction if there's no fiction to it and there's no narrative to it then you failed by that measure so I, i kind of think that um a text adventure can be interactive fiction so if you're writing a text adventure that has all of these kind of state changes and puzzle dynamics and uh puzzle centric text adventure it can also be interactive fiction you know you can have a lot of story and i would say that the famous five and the beast of torak moor uh both of those games are text adventures and both of those games are interactive fiction but text adventure does not have to be text uh, interactive fiction but that is only my opinion i'm not asserting that as you know universal truth just in my opinion uh that you can distinguish between the two by is there a narrative is there a meaningful narrative modern let's say the setup of mario you know mario starts with a little bit of text and says you know you know rescue uh princess peach um, i'm not sure if that's the exact words but you have you essentially have a narrative there but would you describe super mario world as a you know a narrative game i i probably wouldn't so that's that's where my opinion comes from on this right now interesting because again this is the first that i've heard of it so i won't be able to exactly debate you and pretend that i know <laughs> as much as you but what you said that you're in the minority with this opinion so have you come across then people that you've met that uh, think differently or think or have that they agree you know is there is there much of a debate about this online i don't think there's that much debate about it i think there was probably debate many years before i arrived you know because i've only really been pretty active for i'd say 3 years so i think the debate was pretty much settled that text adventures are just you know one banner of interactive fiction um but what i see from um you know uh conventions like for example narrowscope now narrowscope is a fine convention but obviously the very name suggests this bias that 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 non-narrative games are not particularly welcome in in a in a convention called narrowscope and it, that may not be true but it's kind of implied by the name that's why i kind of think that there needs to be separate banners that the text adventure can be interactive fiction but interactive fiction doesn't have to include all text adventures some text adventures are just puzzle boxes and they're happy to be puzzle boxes and they don't need to be measured against you know is this is this a great story is this a great narrative as long as it has good puzzles i think it has some value right i suppose you could um use use that as well for graphic adventures because as we mentioned mist that people some people don't consider that an adventure game to say that's more of a puzzle game that there is a narrative and then they said the same with telltale games and i choose your own adventures which actually came from 
uh, you know, the text-style adventures as well. But they say there's no puzzles, so they shouldn't be considered adventure games as well. So it's, um, yeah, when I was at Narrowscope last year, I mean, as I said, I don't know very much about it as well, but I understand your point because it seems like the focus is on narrative, but then there, you know, these text adventures, they could be focused more on puzzles as well, and they're just as valid. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's one is more valid than the other. I like, uh, right. I like interactive fiction and I like text adventures, but all I'm saying is that there's not, there is not a perfect alignment between the two. And obviously text adventure games, uh, usually parser-driven, parser-driven. So you type in a command or you speak in a command, but it, essentially you have a textual command that goes into the computer. But interactive fiction is more broad as well. I mean, it doesn't, it's more than just text adventures. You know, text adventures is just one slice of it. Interactive fiction, I would say, uh, would cover graphical adventures as well. So I think that just saying that they're equal is inaccurate and probably the definitions need to be revisited. What is a text adventure game? What is interactive fiction? I think there's a huge amount of overlap between the two, but especially if you just have something that has no narrative or next to no narrative, then I don't think it's fair to measure it by virtue of its narrative. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. If it focuses on puzzles and there's very little narrative, then it shouldn't maybe be judged. You know, it shouldn't be People shouldn't say that oh, there's no narrative, so we don't want to discuss it. It's you know, it's it's its own. It's a different thing. It focuses on these these puzzles. So yeah, I can I can see your point. As I said, I'm not uh, extremely knowledgeable as or certainly as much as you are and the the community uh, is. But I, I definitely I can see your point. I'm I certainly wouldn't say I'm knowledgeable. I have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it's an outspoken opinion, and I'm. <laughs> I'm willing to accept that if everybody accepts uh, a certain definition and I'm arguing against it, then, you know, it's kind of a, I'm like kink in use, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I have a strong opinion, but it doesn't mean I'm right. Oh, well, I mean, it's it's an opinion, and I think you've expressed it. I'm curious to know if any listeners uh, have any strong opinions as well, or certainly next time I go to Narrowscope, I'll be sure to ask that as well to see what people say if uh, if people give me any odd looks if i if i say there's a difference between text adventures and interactive fiction and uh, see see what people there say um well, I interactive fiction is, is a broader church than, than right. just text adventures. and if, if you can accept that that interactive fiction is greater than text adventures which it is you know because text adventures are parser based and uh interactive fiction could be many different things including uh, multiple choice and game book style but there is kind of a fringe that interactive fiction doesn't cover, which is text adventures that have no narrative. And that's that's where my kind of uh, pedantry comes from. Right. Okay. Well, I'm I'm curious to know what, what other people think as well. But I think you've made you know, you've made your point very clear and it's very valid as far as I know, so as far as I can see. So I'll be I'll be curious to, to do some more research as well and to to hear what people think as well, you know, start a discussion about this but um no it's something we've learned something new every day so uh, <laughs> so, uh so now you also now you have you're the creator of now i hope i better i get this uh, terminology right but correct me if i'm wrong so you have your own uh software where which allows people and it's focused i believe on kids from 8 to 12 from what I've seen, um, it focuses. It helps them create their own 
uh, text adventure. So basically, you created your own text adventure maker called Adventuron, and you've made it yeah. games through that. Um, so I was wondering, first of all, what can you tell us about Adventuron? How, how did this idea come about, first of all? Uh, Adventuron was a byproduct of um, some kind of theoretical model-based code development um, code that I was writing. So I was writing some very businessy code, and um, I wanted a demonstration of the language editor technology. And I'd always had an interest in uh, text adventure games. I thought it could apply to text adventure games. So I kind of went off on a little tangent for a little while. Um, little while is probably an understatement. And I went off on that tangent and decided to create a model for text adventure games to create a, you know, a, a, essentially a hierarchical data model that describes um, text adventure games. Um, in layman's terms, that's just kind of um, the building blocks and the lookup tables that you would require to run a text adventure game. And um, I, you know, worked on that for a little bit and um, I came up with the kind of two panel view where you edit code on the left hand side and you see the code running on the right hand side. And um, that became the product Adventure On. And uh, a few people made games in Adventure On, including myself. And then last year, um, I worked on integrating a tutorial system into the product that was written, hopefully to appeal to parents and children or teachers and children working together um, as a way of, um, as a stepping stone of learning to code. You know, not the final destination, but one step that a, that a child might take. Um, because it should be very easy to manipulate text. You know, that should be a very simple programming ta task. More, more so than even, you know, manipulating a sprite, which is typically the first kind of coding interaction that's, that's done these days with children with the scratch language. So I thought, well, this could be interesting. It could, and because it's based on imagination, um, it could be interesting to kids if it was revealed in, in the right way. So that's that's why I worked on Adventure on Classroom, which is the kind of education-focused subproduct of of Adventure on. Yeah, as as I told you before recording, I think this is great on multiple levels because it. Helping kids to well, to code, um, as you mentioned, it's also helping them, you know, to reading and to writing, and also it's getting them into text adventures, which I think is also great. Because, and their parents as well, because maybe their parents grew up as well playing text adventures, and they might have believed now that oh, text adventures died with the graphic adventures. There are no more text adventures, but now you're demonstrating no, there is. There's quite a large community, and we can get your kids involved. So. What what has been the, what have, what have you seen as being the response to this from people? I imagine that people well, must must enjoy it or must like it. Well, I mean that there is there, there's kind of a core uh, there's there's a core group that really loves the product, and I, I would say that you can probably count them on probably count them on one hand. Um, but they're very very enthusiastic about the product. I would say that in terms of the original kind of mission to uh, introduce this to parents and children. It hadn't quite been as successful as I'd hoped it had been. And um, so I just don't think that there has become a foothold um, in with any teacher kind of taking it on board and being a champion. I've spoken to a few teachers that said that they were planning to use it, but to the best of my knowledge, it's not, um, it's not used in schools yet. And um, I, I know a few parents and children that have used it together, but 
as of yet, I haven't experienced any games that have been written by children um, themselves. So that's a little bit disappointing, but it, it, maybe it's just a slow burn. So mm. I'm just hoping as I add more features and as I make it more accessible, that eventually, you know, uh, I'm going to I'm going to crack it and it's going to it's going to really help. Uh, but as of yet, I would say that this, the target audience really hasn't really hasn't responded to it. So you, you sometimes just you just don't know until you try. And mm. uh, so I'm just going to try it a little bit more. Yeah, no, I'd say keep keep working at it because I I've spoken to other people who do give courses and classes to on um, how to make adventures, you know, to children. And um, and as I said, I think uh, this uh, you know this this is great on multiple levels if it gets children and you know people into text adventures or adventures. And certainly when I was at school, I would have loved something like this at that age. I think because. It's it's very different as well that it it helps on you know with the reading and the writing as well. So I'm kind of surprised the teachers haven't kind of jumped on this, saying yeah we could you know kill not just two birds but five birds with one stone. Yeah, <laughs> that... I mean I I'm kind of, I'm kind of disappointed as well, but mm. I think that I don't really have a platform to let people know about it. I mean it's a it's a free product. I don't have an advertising budget. I did put an ad in a magazine at one point in time, but there was a little bit of a spike of traffic and then it went straight down. So I'm not sure that the teachers really, really know about it. Or if they do know about it, just maybe there's something, maybe there's something more compelling out there. It's not, it's not that it's bad. It's just maybe there's something better out there. I, I don't really know why it hasn't um, kind of found its audience yet. But mm. yeah, like I said, I'm just going to keep working on it and see, see if I can make it better. Oh, d- definitely, because... You know, I used to work as an English teacher myself, so I would have loved to use something like this for you know people of all ages um, to help them with their writing and you know creativity as well. And because I could say, oh yeah, we're playing games, but we're learning. You know, we're, we're not cheating. <laughs> it's. Well, I mean, I have, I have seen I have seen um, children uh, use the system, and um, when they use the system, they tend to gravitate towards naughty words, and you you kind of <laughs> you're not encouraging them. You're not certainly not encouraging them to do that. Um, but of course, they they want to put it in fart jokes and things like that. And you type in words, and this character says something. You know, not not um, not a sweary word, but you know, like a naughty word. And they, they want to do that. And if it makes them laugh, and if it's not you know if it's not an awful thing that they're writing, then it seems a bit of a shame to dissuade them if they're having fun because fun is the real motivator. And if they want to, if they want to make something that makes them laugh and makes their friends laugh, as long as it's not, you know, something horrible that they're writing, then uh, in a way it's worth kind of stepping aside and just letting them enjoy it the way that they want to enjoy it. But um, I think it's one of these things that when, when you don't have an audience and the wind is blowing and you, you kind of light your candle for the first time, it doesn't take much to just snuff it out. There needs to be a critical mass of people that are enjoying it, and it hasn't quite got there yet. Okay, still, still early days. So, um, so hopefully, as, as you mentioned, I think we're all guilty of that of putting naughty words when we play text adventures. I know I was when I first played them, <laughs> and yeah. um, in, in particular with the Leisure Suit Larry games. I remember that you, you just want to, want to know what you know the responses as well when you put in you know not even swear words but just kind of you know. 
and yeah, as, as you say, naughty words just to see the response. Yeah, but there's none of, there's none of that in the lessons and the tutorials. Right. They wouldn't encourage it, but uh, you can't you can't stop children from doing it. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, it seems to be a natural thing that, that that kids do when they they go into the system. So you can tell them not to, do, but um, they're going to do it. I think there's nothing you can really do as an adult to stop kids from doing. That. Right. Yeah. No. It's um, and so this is there. So is it just for 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 kids and for you know their parents, or can this be used by anybody? Well, I would say that even though the Adventure in Classroom was created with the parents and children, it was written in that way and it's, it's written in that tone, that uh, quite a lot of adults enjoy it. And um, I'm running game jam, jam events roughly at a rate of about one every three or four months. There have been three of these game jams and it's been overwhelmingly um, adults that have been using it to learn to code for the first time, which is really cool because that's what it was meant for. But, you know, it was meant for a different uh, age range. But um, I think the adults are really enjoying it and uh, making a lot of games and stories and puzzle boxes using the system. And, um, yeah, it, it seems to be finding its audience elsewhere. So even though it's called Adventure on Classroom, um, it, you know, adults can enjoy it. Um, and it's pretty much there for anybody, but I do apologize for the tone of some of, some of the lessons because obviously it was designed uh, around this kind of age group, but that age group hasn't, isn't in there yet. But I don't think adults really care, you know, as long as it's easy to understand. And um, some people have told me that uh, they've really understood the cost and that's, that's very gratifying to hear it. Yeah, because I'm just thinking for myself, you know, because I would be a, a beginner uh, myself so I think this would be perfect for me <laughs> that it would be kind of like I was a child you know learning to code for the first time and also making my own text adventure as well it would be very very basic so I think it would be perfect for me that it's not wouldn't be too complicated but you mentioned that there are tutorials available uh, right? The, the tutorials are built into the system so um, there's a tutorial in the system for building a game called Excalibur which is the game that came out in 1987 it was written by two uh, two people, um, Ian Smith, who did the programming, and uh, Sean McClure, who did the graphics. And uh, I actually liked that game so much when I was younger that I bought the rights and turned it into the tutorial game. So the tutorial actually takes you through how you would design a game like that in the system. So essentially, I recoded the game, then turned it into the tutorial game of the uh, system. And maybe I'll rotate that later in the future and add a different game and show you how to code, you know, something a little bit more complex. But that game was so simple that I thought it was a great game to use for a tutorial. And it's very colorful. And um, Adventure Run, of course, uh, even though it's a text adventure engine, sports full graphics. So um, it's not the same as Sierra games where you might have a protagonist, well, later Sierra games where you have a protagonist walking around the screen. Uh, this is just essentially you have a room description and you might have a static or you can even have an animated GIF of the location that you're looking at. And it just makes it more pleasant to the eye. And especially if you have children involved, they want, they mostly want something to look at, but it's really nice to have that additional creative outlet where on top of creating the descriptions of locations, they can actually draw the locations themselves. So um, the tutorial is built in the system, the Excalibur game, comes with a full set of graphics um, and it runs you through how to create that game from start to finish. I think if you're an adult and you go through the entire thing, it's probably going to take you in the region of um, 
three hours, uh, three to four hours, depending on, you know, if, you, if you're taking a leisurely pace. And then you can code essentially all locations, all logic in the game. And then you essentially have a template for logic that you can use for your own game. Like if you're designing something completely different, at least you know how the fundamental nuts and bolts of adventure work. But you also understand something about programming as well because it teaches you basic concepts like um, conditional statements, variables, and things like that. Very nice. And as we said, it you know works on multiple levels and it works for adults and children and it helps to create graphics as well. So not just text-based, but you know you can see the graphics. You can see kind of some images as well, like in some of the other text adventures as well. So it's like some of the early Sierra games or Infocom games. Yeah, I, um, uh, I think I, most most of the Infocom games didn't have uh, right. graphics. <laughs> the later ones, yeah. Had graphics. Yeah, the, late, the later Infocom games had graphics, but the early Sierra games, um, they had graphics without a protagonist. So it was essentially a static graphic and uh, some text underneath. And then the later, uh, it wasn't that late, but the kind of, I guess, the mid-era Sierra games soon moved to uh, having some protagonists that you moved around with the cursors. And that's great. I mean, I, I like that, but there's a lot more work to do because you have to, on top of drawing the graphic, you have to kind of zone out the graphic and say, you know, which are foreground objects, which are background objects, um, where are the zones where the objects are on screen. So that's, you know, that's a level of work that would be more difficult for a beginner programmer to take on board. That's why it, it's more, more the traditional type of text adventure where you, where you simply see the graphic as something that's in addition to the text, which is the main form of interaction with the game. Right. Okay. No, sounds really... Really interesting. And as I said, I think that a lot of people would be interested in this. And I, um, you know, I hope that more people, you know, including teachers and students and people in general, uh, start to use it. Because I know it myself as well, I've always been interested in wanting to make either a great game, a graphic adventure game, or even a you know text adventure or interactive fiction game like this. Um, so I'll be definitely checking out this this software later on. Um, and then there's another thing that you're working on, which I believe is related, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it the text adventure literacy project? Because we spoke about your, uh, the differences that you believe there are between text adventure, interactive fiction and the adventure on, but what can you tell us about the text adventure literary project or the TALP? I don't know if that's called or... A bit of a mouthful. Um, <laughs> essentially, it's something that, that naturally came out of the the realization that pretty much nobody under the age of 35 i mean you, you can find a few obviously but pretty much nobody under the age of 35 knows how to play text adventure games so you're going to have a hard time convincing people they want to write text adventure games if nobody knows how to play them or what they are so the it's not the text adventure literacy project is not learning about text adventures of uh, you know, of Christmas past or anything like that. It's not about learning about Sierra games and uh, Infocom and Zork. It's not about learning the history of text adventure games. Literacy is about the, the understanding what text adventure games are. And again, we're, we're talking about text adventures and interactive fiction. Parser-based games are almost an, almost synonymous with text adventure games. If, you're, if it's a parser-based game, it doesn't mean it's narrative. Um, it doesn't mean that it's not narrative either. It's just text adventure games are games that involve typing in a command and getting a response. And 
obviously these games have a certain language to them um, that is common across 99% of the game or perhaps even more than 99% of the game. That you have to be able to navigate the world. You have to be able to move between locations in the world. So th that would be using compass directions, east, west, north, south. Now, that's obvious to anybody that grew up in the 80s that, that grew up with these games, but it's absolutely not obvious to people that are just presented with a, with a blinking cursor. The Literacy Project is about um, encouraging authors to write text adventure games that are suitable for absolute beginners, that essentially incorporate a Nintendo-style interactive tutorial at the beginning of the game that teaches uh, players as if they have no former knowledge that they've never played one text adventure and text adventure or puzzle based game in their life teaching them the rules of how to play the game and uh so the reason why it's such a mouthful one of the reasons why it's such a mouthful is because it becomes uh you can say t-a-l-p so if you create a game and you add t-a-l-p to the game description or the game name, that it becomes a searchable term, that you know that if you're looking for a text adventure game that has T-A-L-P, that you can essentially uh, put it in front of a younger person, put it in front of somebody less than 30 years old and or 35 years old, and it doesn't matter that they've never played text adventure games before. You know it's going to teach them. You know that it, you don't need to have somebody sit next to them and say, oh, you need to type in inventory to see what's in your pocket. You need to type get object. You need to uh, use a verb and a noun here. So the Text Adventure Literacy Project is about teaching um, a generation that has no idea how to play text adventure games to provide them with games that guarantee that it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can just play the game and it will teach you along the way. And that doesn't mean that it's an easy game. It just means at least it has a tutorial. So uh, that was the idea behind the project. And I've marked uh, two of my games as Text Adventure Literacy Project games and I think there is a third, um, there's a game called Deer Creek by uh, Gareth Pitchford. And that essentially, I'm not sure if, if he labeled it text T-A-L-P, but it came soon afterwards and it, had, it fulfills all the criteria. So, but I'd like to have a lot more text adventure literacy project games out there that are just really good jumping off points for somebody that's never played text adventure games before in the past. Right, it's, you know, again, it's you know, admirable, you know, from you know what you, what your objectives are as well, and I, I, I don't know what you think as well, because from what, from what I see, that maybe if you had done this a few years ago when graphics were all the rage, maybe it might have been more difficult because people all wanted AAA titles with AAA graphics, but now, especially you know, with Minecraft and now with Animal Crossing as well. It's like people want to go back to more gameplay and less focus on graphics. I'm not saying graphics aren't important because they still are, but I feel that now people, especially now with some nostalgia as well for the 1980s, and text adventures were part of that. So do you think that all of that helps maybe people get into more text adventures and get into the into the talp? Um. I do, I do think it matters that, that, that the graphical arms race is essentially over. I mean, you have PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 coming out, and um, you know, the graphics are you know, just heading, heading in the stratosphere. But the indie game scene, I guess it was kind of kicked off with Xbox Live Arcade. Suddenly the arms race was over, and games started to focus on gameplay. 
And it doesn't matter about the technology. It just matters, is this a unique, fun experience? And what's, uh, what's old is new again, right? Text adventure games mm-hmm. are so old now <laughs> that, that they're original again because it's been completely forgotten about. It's been wiped out the cultural memory. So it's not that there aren't people around that have played those games, but even people that played those games back in the day, they've forgotten about playing them. You know, you might mention it to them. You say, oh, I remember. But it's been so long that it feels refreshing again. Now, there were problems. There were massive problems with text adventure games. And there still can be problems with text adventure games with the usability and design considerations of those games. So a lot of people say, you know, oh, it was terrible. You know, I was guessing the verb or guessing the noun and I didn't know what to type and the game gave me horrible, unfriendly responses and then I smashed the computer up because I was so frustrated. So, of course, that that was a problem with the past and it still could be a problem with bad design. But part of part of what Adventure Run is doing as it's teaching you is teaching you about what is good design and what is bad design because you can still design a bad game. It's perfectly possible to design a bad game. But we have a lot more tools at our disposal. Like in the old days, you might have anticipated that somebody would try something and you wanted to give them a friendly response to something they could try that they couldn't do. But you just simply didn't have the memory to spend on a nice response. So you you focused on the, the kind of golden path, you know, what you want them to do. And that's your game, right? You're designing your puzzles. But now you have enough, you know, all the memory in the world. You can plan responses. You can do have a, have a nice design. So um, I think to a certain extent, the baby was thrown away with the bathwater. You know, this isn't working graphical adventure. It's the way forward. And there's nothing wrong with graphic adventure games, but a well-designed text adventure game that doesn't have any kind of byte limit and that can access multimedia like sound effects and animations and all of those things. Um, that's, I think that puts text adventures in a different light. Hopefully that's what adventure will Hopefully, I, I believe so, that it definitely has an opportunity and a chance to do it. And yeah, speaking about that, about people, you know, playing it for the first time and, and that, because when I was at Nariscope, I went with a friend of mine who doesn't play any adventure games, either text or graphic adventures, but we started to play Zork. And now I was the one playing because I had some of an idea how to play, but then I was asking her to tell me what to do. And very quickly, actually, she got the hang of it. She got the idea of what to do and she was really enjoying it. So I do see from I do think that from what I've I've seen that there definitely could be a market for it because people love reading and some people love writing and you know telling stories as well so I think something like this could really help them get into it. Um, I hope so. so <laughs> hopefully, and then this is available as well. Is you, know, you mentioned the game Excalibur uh, using this, and this is available. Is this available on desktop and mobile platforms? Yeah, it's um, it's on itch.io and um, it's called Excalibur. You can search for Excalibur or Excalibur T A L P, and it's a tutorial version of the game that is created using the Adventure on tutorial. Uh, it's very meta, but this is this is a version of the game that teaches you how to play text adventure games, and then within Adventure on, it teaches you how to make that game. And you can play it on mobile, you can play it on desktop, and it, it formats the screen according to the device shape. So uh, you can make these games and 
in Adventure On, you compile to HTML. And that HTML is aware of the device that's playing, that it's running the game on, and it tries to give you the most appropriate um, screen design for the device that you launch. So for example, on desktop, um, you might have more horizontal characters, but if it's aware that the device is tall and narrow, then it will, the game will naturally format so that the text is readable on the screen. Um, and there are all sorts of kind of nice add-on features like screen reading support, which if you're running through an emulator, you can't do that because the emulator will print some kind of <clears throat> uh, pixels on the screen. It doesn't really know what those pixels are. Or you might be able to hook into a system function that, that uh, is responsible for text being printed on the screen, but it can't really deliver it. Uh, it can't really read it. So advent uh, text adventures on emulators really can't read the text. Now, other text adventure authoring systems can do that as well. It's not unique to Adventure On, but with modern with modern systems, you get that. And with kind of old emulated games, which um, there's nothing wrong nothing wrong with them, but with emulated games, you don't get things like screen reading support. And there's a lot of features that you can just expose OS features in Adventure On that you couldn't do under emulation. So it's it's quite nice having a modern platform like HTML5 to sit on. As well, because you, you mentioned Excalibur, but you've also made some text adventures using the software. Um, so I believe the first game you made was The Paths, correct? So what can you tell us about this game? Um, the Paths, um, I'm not sure if The Path predates the uh, text adventure literacy project or not, but it, it's not it's not a text adventure literacy project. It's it's a game that is designed to be suitable, I hope, for beginners because it doesn't assume any. It doesn't use any of the standard text adventure tropes. For example, you don't need to get objects in, in the path, and you don't need to drop objects in the path, and you don't need to um, navigate around. So you don't need north, south, east, and west. All you need to do is you have a scenario that's printed in front of you and you have to uh, type a command to solve the scenario. You have, a, you have a finite list of objects and an object may apply to one puzzle or multiple puzzles. And it's essentially a puzzle box uh, using pass commands. So uh, for example, one of the early puzzles you would have is a, a door stands in your path. And if you have a key, then you might say, unlock the door with a key or use the key. I'm trying to remember exactly what it says, but essentially you get past the puzzle by um, using objects in a certain order and type, typing commands. And it's a, it's a kind of logic puzzle with how do you get through um, all of these puzzles with uh, the items that you have. So it's kind of like an item conservation puzzle type game. And I thought it was quite interesting because uh, you have to use a lot of uh, logical skills uh, but you don't have to learn a lot about text adventure games. So that that was the kind of first game that I made. And I'm not a storyteller <laughs> naturally at all. So this was a great game for me because there wasn't any story involved. It's just, I think, uh, 12 different scenarios, which sounds like it's too few to be an interesting game. But uh, essentially, you have to find the golden path. That's why it's called the path. You have to find the golden path through the game. And it's a logic puzzle using parser. In interesting, because a lot, a lot of people these days, you know, a lot of fans of uh, well, many graphic adventures. They one of their biggest complaints is that there aren't really many puzzles in 
uh, graphic adventures now. So this thing's ideal for them that they're, you know, to, to get into the game and then you have to, you know, focus on the puzzles to get through and find the path. So, yeah. so, so again, I think with people, and I tried it out a little bit yesterday evening and definitely I was, you know, it's, it's very addictive that <laughs> you want to keep going, <laughs> which, yeah. which is the whole point. Is the <laughs> and yeah. Now I didn't finish it. Um, but you, you know, from you, you were saying as well, it, it seemed to be very intuitive, and um, because you just you, know, you have to drop the so you have to choose an item in the inventory to sacrifice at the very beginning, as as you were talking about as well. I found that very interesting because you see yeah. all these items. You have, to, you, have to, uh, you have to essentially have the stressful decision of what if I made the bad, what if I made the wrong choice, what if I needed that, and the game is not designed to to be won on the first turn. It's kind of impossible to win on the first turn unless you're extraordinarily lucky. Um, so you really have to gather wisdom. So you have to go through the game, gather your wisdom, work out where you can use things. Um, there's a little bit more to it than just that, but um, you know, the first kind of level of the game is that you have to know where to allocate items. There is a little bit more to it than that, but I, I don't want to say more. Mm. But um, And what I like about it um, I shouldn't say that about my own game. But <laughs> Go ahead. What, <laughs> um, but what kind of drew me to the idea, let's say that instead, instead of uh, me liking my own game. But what drew me to the idea was just simply that um, a lot of a lot of games, uh, a lot of people have a negative view of text adventure games, like it's just too many words, too much, too much to consume. You know, they they want they want to they want um, something, but they don't want to have to think about. Um, examine this, examine that, go here, go back here, did I miss something? Um, scanning for nouns. So I just simplified every scenario to, um, I think, uh, a tree stands in your path, a mountain stands in your path, a door stands in your, you know, just narrow something down to the most simple, simple scenario and then see what happens. Um, and I thought that that was graphic and a tiny amount of text is all you need. And now it's the past, the past does the work. Right, yeah, because I think it's nearly perfect for people to serve as an introduction to text adventures. That you, you know, it's, it's not easy; it's still challenging, but it's very intuitive. Yeah, and it's it introduces to the core, um, I think, the core addictive feature of text adventure games, which is that um, the world is your oyster. <laughs> that you can right. type anything you like, and it might work. You can type anything you like, and it probably, you know, some of it probably won't work, but um, you know, it might just work. And it, it's you against the, it's you against the parser, it's you against the author, and uh, the sky's the limit. Anything you can type, it might, it might just do something. Whereas if you're looking at, you know, point-and-click based games, uh, you can almost spam them. You know, you can try every object with everything. Event, mm. uh, you could brute force your way through the game. You could even, you know, write a little program to pixel hunt this little little hidden object. But with parser games, it's more difficult to do that because you have to think creatively about what it is that you want to type in. There's almost an infinite amount of combinations of words that you could type in. So um, it feels like you're actually doing something in the game rather than just being presented with a list of fixed choices. Right. Well, that's that's the path, and I'm sure people will be interested to check that out. And um, and then there's another adventure. I mean, there are many adventures that use the adventure on, which I see now at the list in front of me. But there's another one that you made, I believe, is called Spooky Adventure, which 
it's see now I haven't had a chance to start this or play this, but I see that it's written in the um, in, in teletext style. <laughs> it is certainly taking me back. So yeah. what can you tell us? What can you tell us about this game? Um, spooky adventure. Um, I kind of like haunted house games. Mm. <laughs> I've always liked house games, and um, I really liked, um, but not necessarily haunted house. It could just be a spooky old house, like um. One of my uh, favorite theory adventures was Colonel's Bequest because it was set, you know, um, in an old in an old house um, in the 1920s, and um, it was. I just love houses that are in the middle of nowhere. So I w- always wanted to do one of those, and um, I know a teletext artist uh, called uh, Steve Horsley, and um, one of one of my um, acquaintances. I wouldn't say friends, but one of my acquaintances uh, kind of referred. Um, me to him and I was lucky enough that he was going to do the graphics and the graphics were going to be in the teletext style which is kind of how I, I wanted the look and feel to feel like it was on a BBC Micro and he's the master of making uh, BBC Micro style teletext style graphics so of course the font had to look like a BBC font and there's a there's a freeware font that I used uh, Mode 7 and um, I decided to make a game that was just very very child focused that was very interactive where if you do things the graphics change around you so it's a text adventure with kind of interactive graphics where you you don't have a protagonist on the screen but the screen will change uh, based on the events that you kick off in the game and it's just a small adventure uh, set around uh, going into a house and essentially trying to um, uh, take the source of power away from a witch that's been up to mischief and it's aimed at kids, and it's got a very kind of playful, bright style of graphics. It's a very short adventure. I, mean, I guess you could finish it in uh, five to ten minutes if you know what you're doing, but it'd probably take most people a little bit longer than that. So it's an adventure that's based at absolute beginners. And, uh, you know, it, it was my first try at making a proper adventure rather than something kind of a little bit experimental like Path. It's aimed at, uh, you know, some kids as well, and it's... Um... You know, haunted house. So, how, how, you know, how much horror is there in the game <laughs> for the for the younger? Um, there's, there's, not, there's not horror, but there is a warning at the beginning that there are some scary moments in the game. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a horror-filled game. There's no there's no blood. There's no gore, but there is a witch, right? And a witch is a very traumatic right. for the younger. <laughs> like my, uh, I have a nephew, and he's. Uh, um, He's five, year, five years old, and he absolutely hates witches. You know, just say the word witch, and he, he looks at you in terror. So sometimes you don't need very much, right, to, uh, <laughs> to scare kids. And maybe he's too young for a spooky adventure, but I think maybe as kids get to six, seven, eight years old, it's, it's quite exciting. It's a little bit kind of uh, tense because you know that there's a witch around, and you don't need to show much of the witch to just feel that maybe there's a witch around the corner. And that's the scary part. Uh, mm. So I wouldn't say it's a horror game. It, it has a little bit of a kind of um, has a little bit of tension in the air, but it's not it's not designed to really terrify people. Okay. So so again, that's spooky adventure, and mm. I'm looking forward to checking that. I don't usually like uh, well, not a horror game, but even for myself, you know, horror or scary games, it's like okay, as long as it's not too much. <laughs> But um, but yeah, and then 
there's another game that you made, which was uh, you know in English and in in Spanish, I believe, which is two or dos, and it seems to be you know, interesting as well. It seems to be an interesting feature as well. So, uh, so I suppose the question is, how many words can you can you write in this game at at one time? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was me being a little bit argumentative. I wanted to write a game that didn't really have that much story. Uh, <laughs> I, I, coming back to text adventure versus interactive fiction, uh, I mean, there are a couple of reasons. One is that I'm not that talented to write a story-based adventure game, but I can still write a puzzle box. I hope. So I thought, okay, uh, what's the? How can I make it? How can I make it clear that this doesn't have much of a story? So I decided to set myself kind of a, the hardest limit that I could, uh, that I reasonably could, because you could maybe go down to one, um, but it would be it would the puzzles would be difficult to design around one. Um, so I decided to set myself a limit. And the limit was that locations have to describe themselves in a maximum of two words. Uh, responses to whatever you type in have to be maximum of two words. And object names within the game have to be a maximum of two words. So everything is two words. And you kind of get the, the situation that you're in by the object list. So uh, you're not limited to just two words on the screen. So you can dump however many objects that you want onto the screen in a list, but they're just essentially a noun or adjective noun and a list of those things. And that's, that's the only state that you have, just a list of two, two words. Um, and so I decided to make as many kind of puzzles as I, can, I could um, using that conceit, and that's, that became two. Right. And it's it's also available in Spanish. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. So so you translated all of the the text and the puzzles into into Spanish, and Spanish speakers can play the game. That's that's great actually, because I don't know how many text adventures are in well other languages or Spanish, and in English, because there's a lot of text. So yeah. I mean, um, the translation. I I try to use uh, Google Translate for the translation into from English to Spanish, which obviously is not obviously is not a good idea. But that was just kind of the rough the rough pass. And then um, I have some Spanish friends, and one of them who was a uh, who was somebody that take took part in the previous adventure on Game Jam, uh, a guy called Manuel Sagra. He basically went through and fixed. <laughs> fixed everything so i would say he's responsible for translation not me uh i did i did a quite a bit of the coding around system spotting spanish and the system messages in spanish and things like that but i'd say that manuel manuel i hope i got it right manuel is um responsible for the translation itself which was still um an interesting task to see because spanish is a little bit of a uh a little bit more of a flowery language than English that it kind of needs a few extra words here and there. The trying to fit two word descriptions into Spanish was sometimes difficult. You had to think of different object names that would fit into two words, but essentially had the same meaning. Yeah, that, that's very true, actually, because in, you know to have two words in Spanish, because in Spanish you use more words to in general to describe yeah. things as well. Yeah, so, so that was tough. <laughs> that was wow. tough. <laughs> well, so that was even more of a challenge then to to make it because not just the translation and the 
uh, localization, but to try and make it still have just two words. <laughs> yeah, one um, interesting thing DOS is that um, you can still type all of the English commands in, into the Spanish version. They're just hidden. So oh, if you know the So if you're learning English and you're, uh, I don't know, somebody who speaks natively Spanish, uh, you could just uh, try out your English by typing in the English equivalent of commands, and you'd be re rewarded for your correct English by the system doing something. So that's that was an interesting little byproduct, and it wasn't really, I didn't really plan it at first, but then I thought, well, it's easy enough to do, so why not? Why not just allow all the English at the same time as allowing the Spanish? Uh, it, it would have been difficult if there were conflicts in vocabulary, but there weren't, so I I put that in. Wow, I wish I had known about this or I had this when I was an English teacher because I, <laughs> I would have definitely used it. Um, it would have been, I think it would have been quite popular. So I'll definitely send it to the school that I used to work work for in Spain and, you know, see see what they say. But no, that, sound, that sounds great. And so that is two or dos. And then you worked on a few adventure jams. And I don't know if you're working on adventure jam now, but... First of all, with you know, I'm sure people have heard of adventure jams or graphic adventures. But what is a you know what what does a adventure jam, a typical adventure jam, consist of with text adventures, and that you've been involved with, or are there they different? Been three, there have been three jams, and they, they have they have different rules and different um, objectives. So the first jam was called the Adventure on Cave Jam. And that jam was um, essentially a, a template game was provided, a template text adventure game was provided that had um, one puzzle or two puzzles, depending on how you interpret it. And the source code was given for that. So the, the jam was essentially remix this, this existing game. The existing game has two puzzles, add, a, add another couple of puzzles in, add some, um, add some more locations in there. Uh, things like that, and um, so that was the first jam. And I think that was relatively, it was more successful than I thought it would be, because not many people, there hadn't been much uptake of adventure on up to that point. There'd been, you know, a few a few people that'd been using it and um, real kind of advocates for the system, but generally speaking, there weren't that many people using it. And then um, I think maybe 30 or 40 people, there were 30 or 40 entrants to that first jam, ultimately 12 people got across the line, 12 entrants got across the line, but that was that was pretty big uh, for the time. And I think that was interesting because rather than starting with nothing, you start with something. And text is uh, pretty easy to remix. So you, it's, not, it's not that you have to be the world's greatest artist or anything like that. You can create a game with text. Um, and as long as you're a creative person and you have some ideas, um, you can just kind of edit text, make something new out of it. So I thought that was that was quite successful, and there were 12 games that came out of that. And um, the winner of that jam was uh, a game, sorry, the, the winning game from that jam was uh, Mushroom Hunt. And uh, that was actually a beautiful game with, with beautiful graphics. Um, maybe maybe that's, uh, you could accurately describe that as interactive fiction. It was an interactive fiction more than a puzzle-centric game, but it was a worthy winner uh, nonetheless. And um, it was... Uh, very, very well received and um, beautiful. <laughs> you can only describe it as beautiful. The, the guy that um, drew the graphics and uh, wrote the game, um, he's just a real professional. Um, and yeah, I was very, 
I was very pleased with the community that was building around the jams. The second jam, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling, but the second jam... Oh, no, was, you're not. Keep going. Don't worry. <laughs> jam, Halloween jam, and it was more of a kind of a... I think I'd... Um, it had six people that got across the line that time. It was a great, another great winner. A guy called uh, Gary Francis won that jam. And um, that jam was... I think maybe the theme was a little bit too limited because it was the uh, Halloween-themed game, but it was kind of constrained by the rules, you know. Uh, can't be, you know, can't be gory, can't be... Uh, it's got to be suitable for children. Now, Halloween is naturally kind of... It's more of a kind of adult-focused uh, genre. Um, you know, a lot of Halloween films involve murder and horror and ghosts and horrible things. So asking people to make a kind of child-friendly Halloween game, I think it naturally limited the audience. And there were six people that uh, took part in it, and there were some uh, great games in there, but that was quite a steep step down from uh, from the 12. And then the third jam was the uh, Adventure on Treasure Hunt jam. And uh, that was essentially a spin-off from 2. So it had a lot of the same constraints from the 2 game. So it's a treasure hunt. And the treasure hunt is a sub-genre of um, text adventure game where you simply just have to collect uh, objects of a certain category or type, and those are treasures, and you have to place them in a treasure room. Now, the, treasure, the treasures don't have to be treasure. They don't have to be like um, gold or a crown or something. It could just be a category of object. You no, know, collect all the eggs, collect all the, uh, collect all the party goods because somebody made a game where you have to collect uh, goods to throw a party. So you just have to collect a category of objects, collect them together, and then you win the game. And that was, that was, quite, a popular, that was quite a popular game concept because the constraints of the jam were that you could only use minimal uh, location descriptions, object descriptions, and response descriptions. And the more constraints I think that you add in these jams, the more compelling they become. They're like a challenge to anybody that wants to make a game. And uh, that jam was won by, I'm trying to think now, John Blythe, who is, is a very good artist. But one of the constraints of that jam was no graphics. Make it the most interesting game that you can with, with no graphics at all. And the previous jams to that had been graphic only. So I think that was quite interesting. So I kind of tried to mix up the rules of the jam uh, to kind of open open it up to an audience that maybe didn't like the previous jam. So I'd, I'd received some responses saying, oh, I'd like to have a go, but, you know, I'm not an artist. So that, that was a text-only jam. And um, I have to say, that, I mean, th there were so many good games in, the, in that last jam. And the, the quality of the entry trees just seems to get better and better. Yeah, they seem to be growing, at least from what I can see, that, um, you know, there are you know, more entries, I believe, in the last jam, the Treasure Hunt jam, than in, you know, you know, the previous two entries. And then there were also a judging panel, was there, on the last jam, the Treasure Hunt jam? Yeah, there was a judging panel because um, it seemed, seemed that, um, I don't know, it just seems a little bit crass campaigning for votes, you know, going on Twitter and saying, vote for my game, vote for my game. It, it seems like it's rewarding those uh, people who campaign better. I'm not saying that that's the reason other people won, won the previous jams uh, at all, but it just seemed to me that a fairer method of, of judging and a, a better method of getting feedback was to have people that were established uh, either game authors or write about games or, you know, have some kind of footing 
have some knowledge of adventures or text adventures uh, to be expert judges. So this was the first jam with a proper uh, judging panel. And um, I think that worked out really well. I think every game got very, very good feedback from the judges, you know, constructive feedback. Um, not not 100%, not 100% positive, but nothing overly negative, always constructive feedback. And that's very, mm. that's very nice if you've written a game and you know that some, some experts playing your game and they're giving you good advice about um, what they liked and uh, what could maybe be improved. I just think that was good for Ollie Entrum. Yeah, that's, and I think one, yeah, no, definitely is important for constructive feedback, you know, especially if this is your first time making a text adventure or anything, you know, that it's, you know, very if it's specific and designed to help, that's really important. And I see that one of the people, one of the judges is Julia Minamata, who I spoke to actually, who's making the Crimson Diamond. Oh, yeah, uh, Julia has, uh, yeah, Julia has spotted Adventure Run for quite a while. I mean, um, um, I was interested in the Crimson Diamond. I followed her, and uh, she seemed to follow uh, Adventure Run back. And uh, she, she's very supportive of Adventure Run. I really appreciate that she made the time to act as a judge. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, Sierra-style games, and she's a great artist. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was great to... I didn't think that she could make the time, but she's obviously qualified to be a judge. I mean, uh, very qualified. And, uh, you know, all the other judges as well. I mean, um, Mark Hardesty, he writes a classic adventure, um, the Classic Adventurer magazine, which is a fanzine that focuses mostly on text adventure games um, and old and new, because the, there are new... There are new text adventures being written, uh, not all with Adventure on. There is a system called uh, DAAD, um, which is, to be honest, I've forgotten what, what the acronym links to, but it's a Spanish, it's a Spanish uh, text adventure engine that was actually written around about the late 80s, uh, early 90s, and it's only just recently became open source, and that targets um, adventure games at older um, computer systems like uh, ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64, Amiga, and it's a really nice—it's uh, a really nice way if you want to write a text adventure game to target those older uh, systems. So the, the so Mark Hardesty uh, is running that magazine, and the, it covers lots and lots and lots of games. So he was a, he was a qualified judge. Tim Gilbert's—I don't know if you know about Tim Gilbert's, but he's like the granddaddy of the uh, UK text adventure scene. He's the uh, essentially the co the co-author of the quill and he was the developer of the professional adventure writer and of dard so he was a great judge i mean i i was so happy to have him on on the panel and uh, uh stefan vote i hope that's voice he's uh he's producing modern text adventure games and he's heavily involved in the dard project and uh blurkatron <laughs> who created a nice game called uh unhallowed uh, which uses Adventure on and also targets older computers. And I'm trying to remember the final judge. Um, David, Dave, Dave, David Bushy. Maybe I am wrong. Um, sorry, sorry, David. Uh, no, I got it right. David Bushy, and uh, he's he's creating a text adventure kind of engine for older computers as well. So he's a great judging panel. Yeah, sounds like a who's who of uh, of judges. <laughs> you know, def definitely people who who are qualified to be judges of text adventures. It seems like. 
and it, it, it's great to see as well that there is a magazine or a fanzine on classic adventures or text adventures as well from David Hallistry. I'll have to check that out as well. And, oh, that's Mark. Oh, Mark. Sorry, sorry. Yes. So uh, Mark Hardestry. Yes. Um, getting confused there with, with the names. <laughs> He's working man in text adventures. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, it's... That, that's, and, that's a and you managed to, to get him to be a judge. That's... A... <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, Mark's, Mark's uh, I, I think he's been the center of the community for a long, long time. His magazine has, uh, it, it really specializes in these kind of older style text adventure, which are object centric, puzzle centric, um, plus interactive fiction, but the old style text adventure games, he's really, really in the last couple of years been the center of it. And I think he's just published his last, uh, his last issue of his magazine and that's a free magazine. So he's not. He's not really in it for the money. He's in it for the love of it. Um, and you can get printed copies, but you can get free copies as well. Uh, so sorry, I'm just plugging for Mark, but I just think it's a great magazine. Sure, I'll I'll be happy to post a link to it for people listening. And uh, no, that that sounds great. And how often do the adventure jams go up? Like how often are they? Is it one? Is it one a year or one every six months or how often are they? Um, it's hard to tell. I mean, um. I think on average it's been, it's averaging about one every four months now. Um, I just finished the treasure hunt jam that that's closed and judged, but I'm probably going to start probably going to start another jam quite soon. Um, not confirmed, but I'm thinking the theme of the next jam is going to be a uh, text adventure literacy project uh, games. So make a game for for the tout project and see how that goes. Uh, maybe that's not a good idea, but <laughs> um, I think it might be quite an interesting challenge to think about how to make a game for beginners. Mm. Oh, that that sounds great, actually. I think you know, for for people like well, I I played a few, but people like me or like other friends of mine or that you know, so I could send them the links to it. So that that would, I think that would be great if if you did go ahead with that. And now we've we've spoken about the adventure on adventure on classroom. I believe you have something called the Adventuron Gamebook mode as well. Is that different to the Adventuron Classroom? Uh, Adventuron Gamebook mode is a mode that I'm, uh, well, I could say I've just added to Adventuron. It's been it's been latent for a while, but I've just documented it. And it's a mode where um, Adventuron is really concerned with text adventure games, parser-based games, but the gamebook mode is concerned with multiple choice, and maybe that's more accurately described as interactive uh, fiction. It's Rather than having to think about something to do, you can click on the action, and then it will take you to another another room or another description. And it's you know loosely based on the you know the older style game books. I, I don't name the famous type of game book because they're very litigious, but you can imagine the name I'm thinking of. Um, so it's the game game book mode, and there there were lots of these game books around in the 80s, and there's, there's still lots of game books that are going today that are actually printed, but it's a mode that will let you construct games like that uh, where you can um, navigate around the world, maybe have a battle with a few creatures. Um, so it's not pure text adventure mode, but it allows me to leverage a lot of the multimedia features that are in Adventuron, but allows Adventuron to kind of branch out into non-parser type games. So I, I think a lot of people will not like that, <laughs> but some people might like that. And, uh, I, I guess it's for them. 
Yeah, well, from what I think, there's a market for everything. So I think that there will be people who will like it. So I suppose the, one of the final questions that I have is, you know, we, we've spoken about, well, Adventure On, about trying to get into classrooms and all and these adventure jams. So I suppose, what, what do you see the future for Adventure On? Where do you see yourself taking it in the future, you know, both in the near future and the far future, you know, from what you've seen so far to, for reaction to it and all. So yeah, basically, what do you see the future for, for Adventure On? Um, I think the future is going to be just iterate on it and try to make it more friendly and more accessible in, in many ways. And I think part of that is, um, the, I think the navigation features of text adventures are the hardest especially if you have a text adventure game without graphics. Um, if you're just confronted with text and navigating around. In the old days, it used to be it used to be part of the joy to get a blank piece of paper and a pen or a pencil and to draw a map and to work out where everything was and how to navigate around. But I just honestly don't think that that's, that flies in, in the 21st century. So um, I'm working on an auto-mapping mode, which will give you like a graphical map that you can optionally switch on and purists don't have to use it, but uh, people that I, I guess are new to adventures would, would really enjoy something like that. So they can just get their bearings. And um, I guess the other thing that I'm, I'm uh, looking at doing is um, working on the game book mode a little bit more, adding a status screen um, and adding a graphics editor to Adventure On is uh, down the line as well. So I started work on a product called uh, Adventure on Draw. And um, I think that's maybe the kind of hook that a lot of kids need, you know, having the graphic editor built into the system itself. Because at the moment you can import graphics and draw them in whatever you like, and that's great. But it takes you out of the system and it would be nice to have those tools inside Adventure on. So that's, that's what I would say is coming next. Nice. Uh, well, I look forward to finding out more. And now we've spoken about some of the games already there, but I just see as well that there are many more games using Adventure On that people can check out if they wish to as well. And it's so. Then, where can people find out more about Adventure On and you know, about yourself as well? Okay. Uh, the website for Adventure editor itself is adventureon.io. That's uh, I don't know how to spell out a d v e n t u r o n dot i o, and um, there is a page which kind of highlights Adventure on games, uh, which is adventureon dot itch dot i o, and uh, that's a great landing page and has a lot of links to uh, the existing games and tutorials and YouTube videos. So maybe the latter link is the easier one. Sure. Sure, I'll definitely include them as well, and I'll include the well, what what we spoke about, you know, the talp and the adventure jams and the games we spoke about as well. And uh, you you have as well a Twitter as well, uh, I believe. Yes, I do. It's uh, Learn Adventure On. It sounds like a command, doesn't it? <laughs> Learn Adventure On. It's <laughs> verb plus nouns. <laughs> obey. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Learn Adventure On is the uh, Twitter account, and uh, you know I, I retweet uh, any games that are or any relevant articles. And it's not just Adventure On stuff that I post in there; it's text adventure stuff in general. It's, um, it's such a small community. I think that uh, everybody has to 
for everybody else. Sure, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, uh, because it's still around. People, there is still community of uh, well, text adventure fans, and you know, I think it's important to keep it going. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think that's all the questions that I have. I've certainly learned a lot, and I'm certainly very curious about adventure on and. I think it's very suitable for someone like me who's never made a text adventure game and doesn't know much about code or text adventures yet. So I'll definitely be checking it out. Is there anything else that you would like to mention before we finish that we haven't covered or anything you'd like to say to people listening or to anyone at all? Um, no. I, uh, well, maybe I would say that if anybody is thinking of trying adventure on and uh thinking that it might be an interesting first programming language for themselves or their children then just reach out to me and you know i'm happy to give personal uh assistance obviously i'm not going to give personal assistance to uh unsupervised uh, children but parents and children i'm happy to i'm happy to help anybody that's interested perfect and so they can get in contact with you through well we have twitter and we have the web web links as well so and I definitely encourage people, if there are any parents listening or any teachers or English teachers, or I would definitely encourage people to give it a try and to get in contact with you because I definitely would have used this um, when I was an English teacher because I was always looking for things like this, you know, to make it fun and to, to help the, the students learn. And anyway, in general, I think people should probably check it out. That's, uh, you know, I certainly will as well. And as we mentioned, you can use this on desktop and on mobile as well, uh, I believe. Yeah, uh, the games play on mobile, but the editor at the moment is desktop only. So you'll need a laptop or a desktop to create the games. But once you create the games, uh, you can play them on any platform you like, tablet, mobile, desktop. Cool, so you can play them on the go then? Yeah. yeah. Cool. It's, uh, yeah, um, hopefully there are some, some niceties in there that, that set it apart from um, other existing kind of text adventures, text adventure systems. But I mean, there are some very high quality systems out there as well. And um, do do check them out. Do check them mm. out. Um, you can find most links to them from the classic adventurer. So uh, adventure is not the only product in town, but uh, hopefully for some people, it's, it's a good stepping stone. Cool. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's perfect for people starting off. So um, no, that's great. I've certainly learned a lot. And again, if people have um, had their own thoughts on the debate that we had at the beginning, well, debates, I've, I wasn't involved very much, but um, <laughs> <laughs> the interactive Sorry about No, 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 it's great. I've learned a lot. And, you know, it, even though, like, I'm part of the adventure game community as well and the play text adventures, I'm still learning a lot, which is great. So, um, and if people are, you know, interested in more or want to know more about or have their own thoughts on interactive fiction versus text adventure. I'd be curious to know as well. I'm sure you you might as well. But, you know, being nice, you know. <laughs> Maybe I've um, nest. <laughs> yes, well, I, I know that there, there can be as well with uh, graphic adventures. You know, we had one as well. You know, what what are our you know, thoughts on Myst? Is Myst actually any good? <laughs> and it's, a, it's kind of open Pandora's box. So. Yeah. Um, so this could be similar, but but again, stir discussion. So well, thank you very much, Chris. I'm delighted to to have spoken with you, and I'll definitely be uh, checking out Adventure on. I will be definitely be in contact, and hopefully we can meet each other, you know, sometime at some conference as well. If you're yeah, uh, right. Narrowscope or any if there's any other interactive fiction 
uh, conference that uh, that we go to, and we'll we'll keep in touch. Puzzle Box Conference, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there should be one. We've had a na- narrow scope, so we should have Puzzle Scope now. <laughs> so. uh, it's been great, great speaking to you, and uh, yeah, thank you for your time. Yeah, th- thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Okay, take care. So that was my interview with Chris Ainsley. I hope you enjoyed it, and huge thank you to Chris once again for speaking to me. And I look forward to trying out Adventure On and seeing what text adventures I can create. Uh, we shall see. So I look forward to seeing what Chris does with Adventure On in future. So if you enjoyed that episode and if you like this podcast, you can help us in a couple of ways. You can become a Patreon subscriber if you wish. And that would really help us out as we are a very independent podcast and we pay for just about everything ourselves. So... Patreon subscribers that we currently have are really, really helping us. Every little counts, but um, so we really much appreciate it. And also you get some extra content, some spoiler special episodes with developers of The Walking Dead, the final season with developers of Interrogation and with developers of Whispers of a Machine and a couple of others as well. And also you get... You get early access to these episodes and you'll be automatically entered into competitions for adventure games. So as a thank you as well. So and you'll be the first to hear of any announcements as well, plus other things you can see as well. So you can find more find out more at patreon.com forward slash adventure games podcast. You can also subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And you can leave a review at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you can leave reviews which would really help. Also, you can share the links to these episodes and to the podcast if you are members of forums or Reddit or anywhere at all, as that will also really, really help. So, And uh, most of all, well, listen to this podcast. That's really, really the most helpful you can be. So thank you to everyone who, who listens and who's given us encouragement. We really enjoy doing this, and we hope you enjoy listening to this as well. So that is it for this week. Uh, next week, I will be joined once again, as always, by Thomas Bex and Laura Cress, and we will be reviewing and discussing the latest adventure games that we have been playing. So, until then, take care, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>the adventure games podcast then please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts please leave a review on itunes if you can as every review helps and reviews will help get the word out especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast now you can also follow me on social media you can follow me on twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are an adventure game developer or an adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you
Thank mm-hmm. you.